Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown. Today, I have the pleasure of having a friend of mine, Ahmed Sarafi, on the show, and we're going to talk about how to build better. Very different than the presidential conversations everybody's having about building back better. Ahmed just wants to do it right the first time because Ahmed is a builder just like myself. But I want to welcome to the show. Good morning, Ahmed. How are you? Hey, good morning, Shannon. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. So, Ahmed, instead of me butchering your bio and your background and reading all of this, I know it, but for my listeners, would you tell us kind of how you got here and and what your list of accomplishments as far as, as your field of, of work is? Sure. That's uh, that's the, uh, the fun part of it. Right. So, you know, I'll kind of jump forward a little bit here. It's like, you know, when I was, I, I took, seven years to go through college, so technically seven and a half years, because I was working at my dad's gas station. I grew up pumping gas my whole life, right? So the priority was on the family business, which was the gas station. So seven and a half years working 60 hours a week, it took me a long time to get to college. But towards the end of college, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? You know, I wanted to go into law school, but it wasn't really something that, you know, my family was favorable about. I thought about this and that. And towards the end of school, I was talking to one of my professors and he said, you should definitely get into commercial real estate because you're a finance major. It's something that you like, you did well in the classes, uh, you enjoy these subjects. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to do that. Uh, was recruited out of college to work for a company called CB Richard Ellis, now called CBRE, um, was taken into their initial freshman class of new brokers where they've trained us for a couple of years and put us out in the field, uh, did fairly well, did some good sized transactions, figured out my niche was uh, finding opportunities. Uh, I wasn't necessarily the best closer. I wasn't necessarily the best processor, but I was really good at finding the opportunities, looking for those clients and those, those land sites at work. So found my niche, did that for a number of years. After that, I kind of transitioned over uh, and was invited by a friend to come and run and operate his uh, contracting company. He was a, uh, a public works contractor, meaning he did a lot of work for schools and colleges and universities. And I was part of those teams that would build the colleges, the schools and universities that would manage significant, significant portions of that work. And then over the years, you know, I've always been working my father and I shoulder to shoulder. We started the business 17 years ago, you know, sold the gas station, bought some real estate, bought some more real estate along the way, but that was always kind of a part-time thing. But now I've come full circle, uh, finished the contracting work, and now I have taken that family business and I'm now growing it at a more, shall we say, significant pace versus just kind of as it was before, just small investments here and there along the way. I'm now actively growing it at a, at a pace that I think is uh, appropriate for, for a company or a business of that size. So now just... Uh, mostly focused 
on real estate development. Uh, still do some acquisitions, uh, depending on the deal, mostly multifamily stuff here and there. Uh, have a lot of property out in Phoenix, but now mostly focused on the development side. Because as you know, in this market, or it has been for many years now, if you want to be in the acquisition side, you're going to be fighting with a lot of guys. So I decided to go a little bit more in the development direction where there's a little less competition and we're a little bit more in control of our own destiny that way. So that leads me to a great point, Ahmed, because you know I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But for our readers and our listeners, right, what is it that what is it about being on the development side that makes it less crowded? I think a lot of times it's a few things. One, it's the barrier to entry. People think it's extremely difficult. You need extreme amounts of capital. You need extreme amounts of knowledge and experience, which is true, but it's not rocket science. It's not something that you need to be an expert at and you've been doing this for a hundred years. You, you just need to follow the steps from A to Z, from one to a hundred, check off all the boxes and don't forget to skip anything. You know, development is intensive and you can get through it as long as you follow the steps and you don't skip anything. But I think a lot of people feel development also is uh, prohibited because, or prohibitive because just the amount of money it takes to get started in the business, as well as the amount of time it takes to start realizing your gains. So most people will say, hey, if I want to get into real estate investing, I want to place my money, I want to close escrow in 90 days and start, you know, realizing my investment. Well, development is more like, hey, I wanted to get into development, I want to buy a piece of property, and hopefully within 36 to 48 months, I can open the doors if I'm lucky, you know what I mean? So real estate development has some really significant upsides, as you know, financially, but it's also patient money. You have to be patient. You have to go through this process. It's not going to give you a return in 36 or 90 days. It's going to give you a return in 36, 48 months if you're lucky. You know, and that's the funny thing too, Ahmed. I mean, I was, I, I knew you'd get there because, you know, uh, people look at that and they go, oh, wow, man. Hey, real estate sexy again, Ahmed. Did you know that? And you and I have been doing real estate since we were kids. So of course we knew that. I mean, you know, we, we've been involved in this for a long time and now all of a sudden everybody wants to get back in and everybody's fighting over the cash flow product that does exactly that. 60 days from now, man, you can be closed. You can have your money spent. You can be the proud owner of a Motel 6, going to make it a Motel 7, right? Yep. Or you could go into development and for the next seven months, maybe find a site. Right? Sure, like yeah. yeah. And, and there's a whole different ball game that's played. And it isn't that it's so much more sophisticated is it is the long game. And there is that, um, you don't just jump into development. It's not like you decide one day, hey, I'm, I'm going to go into development. I mean, it's, it's something that everybody kind of gradually gets into from probably from a source like a lot of people where they're going, I can't find the product I want, so I got to go create it, but I already have some product, so I have some understanding of the timing that it's going to take for me to get to where I want to go. But then there's people that just come up and go, well, how do you get started? Uh, you know, but to a large degree, Ahmed, as you know, and we'll tell our listeners uh, a little secret, development's actually a little bit easier because you're not staring down the barrel of nine other offers trying to figure out how low you will go and how stripped out your bank account's going to be in order for you to get this Pride and Joy Motel 6, going to be a Motel 7, right? And yeah. you have the ability to 
create it yourself. And in that underwriting process, you know you're going to get it mostly right. Yeah. Whereas you might have inherited somebody else's motel six and a quarter, right? Yeah. That, that's that's they don't they didn't even leave the light on for you. You know what I mean? And so so a lot of people forget that you know there's there's multiple facets in this game of real estate, but they don't all play the same. Not the same playbook for sure. Yeah. So when you're filling your pipeline with stuff and you're looking at that longer game, how do you go about balancing the long game with the short game, with the cash flow, with all of that, you know, dog needs new chew toys? Yeah, that's a great question. And that was one of my biggest questions that I had probably about a year ago when I started scaling significantly, really saying, hey, I want to start taking on more than one or two projects at a time and I start putting four or five, six projects into a pipeline and spreading those out. Because, you know, just because you have one project under construction doesn't mean the next project is going to fall into your lap the day you close and get a certificate of occupancy. You got to place it out and you got to understand that, hey, one project will take 24 months to get off the ground and the other one may take 48 months just depending on the political climate of that area. So I need to start filling up that pipeline and being strategic about it, about when I can uh, get to and I can accomplish and take take uh, take on those projects and being able to do it effectively at the same time, creating a team, building a team along the way to be able to, to make sure that pipeline flows smoothly. And um, one of my mentors, um, you know, maybe many of your, uh, you know, viewers, and listeners know uh, Aaron Wagner out of Utah, Wags Capital, uh, big developer, big investor out of Utah. And this was exactly the question I asked him. I'm like, hey, I got a pool of money. I got properties in the pipeline. I need to know how to direct and how much and what at what percentage of money and allocations and properties do I put out there? How much do I keep for a rainy day? How much do I put out there for new uh, sites? How much do I keep on the side? to fulfill bank requirements to get construction loans. And he told me this, and it's pretty simple. He, he allocates pretty much 80% of his cash into investment development type opportunities, and he keeps 20% back for a rainy day or if something hits the fan or if the market crashes or something, I still have 20% of cash in reserve, but the other 80% is deployed for development and investment practices. So. That's the way I see it, 20% in reserves. I'll keep another 10 or 15% of cash for uh, construction and construction loan uh, responsibilities. And then the remainder of it, me 50 to 60%, somewhere in that range, I'll deploy for new development opportunities over, I would say for the next five years, I like to keep a five-year pipeline minimal because it takes a number of years to get projects up, up to speed to get started anyways. And you live in a little bit different world where you're at as far as that pipeline. I mean, you know, we we have a project that we'll have in the ground in January that we put under contract in March. We took it through a, a conditional use permit, a development agreement, uh, you know, all those kinds of things, which typically take you quite a bit longer. Um, and that's another thing that that you have that you're looking at is the length of your runway. You know, I mean, you've got to look at it and make sure that you're not getting too much in the pipe for three years from now and nothing in the pipe for a year from now. 
Sure. Or like I do, I mean, you know, as soon as I put something under contract, I find three more deals that are that same timeline, right? But if, yeah. you, if you don't have anything you're writing up, there's nothing on the horizon, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's weird like that. But, you know, the, the thing that, that you are you keep talking about scaling, and when you're talking about scaling, you're talking about cash flow. I mean, that's so necessary. How are you blending that? To, to build that out, I mean, other than just that you've got your 80% allocated to that, how are you, are you involving other people? Or are you taking that through all the entitlement process and then involving other people? I mean, how are you scaling your business outside of your own personal cash? Well, you know, I've been preparing for this for a number of years. So I've sold assets, I've cashed out refinance, and I put a, a good amount of cash to the side which is allocated for all these upcoming projects I have, which, you know, I got about a handful of projects that I'm going through right now in various forms of uh, planning, permitting, escrows, acquisitions, stuff like that. Um, and I pretty much figured out I, am, I have enough cash allocation to probably undertake a majority of those projects to get those started and off the ground. But I know if I want to really scale and scale like you and scale uh, to a level where I'm really doing a lot of projects and bigger projects and, and more projects more often, uh, I know I'm going to have to start bringing in partners. And that's something I've also been investigating. How and where and what type of partners am I looking for? Am I looking for a high net worth individual who just wants to be an equity partner and write me a check? Or do I want to... Per, uh, go after some syndication money and have multiple investors into a property and then have to, you know, maybe hire some sort of, you know, asset manager or something that would have to deal with those investors at the same time, because that's a lot of work. Or do I just go after maybe some, some private equity money and I only have to deal with an asset manager from one or two companies versus multiples. So it's definitely something that's on the horizon, especially if I want to grow and I am starting to look for uh, development opportunities out of state. I'm looking in Arizona and Texas because of those two markets that I seem to know fairly well, or at least I'm starting to get to know pretty well. So if I'm going to do that and I want to scale, I'm definitely going to have to bring in that, that outside capital. But right now I'm trying to evaluate what's my best option. What's the best route for that outside capital? And, you know, that's, that's always important because sometimes, you know, too much capital can be almost as or more problematic than not enough because now you're being pushed to scale in an uncomfortable direction. How many times, Ahmed, have we seen somebody or a conglomeration or, you know, four letters of some sort of acronym that, you know, ABC company that's coming to town that they're going to turn the town on its head and they're in there to buy stuff and, and they're coming in there buying whatever, whatever price. And then pretty soon ABC company is not around anymore because they didn't scale in a way that, that that's sustainable, you know? Um, and, and there's always stuff like that, but you kind of operate in a niche. What is that that you're trying to drill down into and, and, and basically, you know, the riches are in the niches. We hear that a lot. Uh, not to be confused with snitches get stitches, but this is, that's a different podcast that Ahmed and I have <laughs> on the side. But uh, but you know, in your niche, what are you trying to niche down into, and where do you where do you see that taking your company? So um, it was kind of a decision that was made, you know, a number of years back, kind of just looking at the demographics, the economy, and where this country is going. And that niche was uh, twofold: um, not a opportunistic developer that will go after everything 
no, that's not what I'm trying to do. Unfortunately, you know, when a good deal falls into your lap that's outside your niche, maybe you should take it just because it's such a good deal. But right now, my niche is twofold, either small commercial product for sale, meaning I can go uh, like I'm doing right now. I just closed escrow on a couple acres here in Southern California that's um, already zoned for business park, meaning I can go build multi tenant or concrete tilt-up industrial buildings. That is not something I want to keep in the portfolio. That is something that is much better suited for a for sale product. So I will go and build that and put it up for sale. So small scale commercial projects or large scale multifamily, meaning multifamily products that are uh, most likely 80 to 100 units plus. And most of that product would probably be senior apartments. I'm talking about active senior, 55 plus, the kind of seniors they still drive, they still see their families, they don't need any additional services, there's no uh, additional uh, requirements based off of, uh, off of me or my operating team, meaning no food delivery, no um, assisted living, no uh, medical care whatsoever. It's just completely independent, 55 plus active seniors is what I'm looking at. Now, if I find a product that, or a project that is suited for market rate, yeah, I'll pursue it, but I'm trying to pursue that market of 55 plus seniors because that demographic is retiring in large numbers. They have a lot of, of wealth accumulated in whether it's their 401k or their home or their savings or investments. And they need to be able to live somewhere because they are empty nesters. They don't need the large home anymore. The market is good and there's a lot of buyers and they can downsize. So might as well give them a product, a place to live that they will feel comfortable in, that they will feel proud of living there. And I wanna give them that opportunity. That's why I'm trying to design all my projects that are 55 plus active senior apartment homes to have a resort style feel. It's kind of like when you go to Cabo San Lucas and you go to one of those resorts, I'm a big fan of Cabo, and you come into the lobby, which would be the clubhouse, and you have a clear sight out to the ocean or out to the pool or out to the grounds behind it. And I want that kind of feeling. I want people to walk into the clubhouse or the, the leasing office and they see this big, beautiful open space with, you know, tall ceilings and a lot of natural light. And it looks out onto the pool and the cabanas and the putting green and the, and the, uh, the gym and the fitness center. So I want people to have that kind of experience because... If you ask me, I'm not in the real estate development business. I'm not a real estate investor. I am somebody that is providing people an experience and I'm using real estate as the tool. So if I can provide my tenants an experience that they want to be at or they are drawn to, it's real estate is just the tool. It's the experience that I'm trying to sell. You know, and that's so important too, because you're doing the same thing with your investment group as you are with your tenants. And when you understand that, it makes that scalability of that product work so much better because your investors are getting that and then your tenants are getting that, which means that your occupancy is coming along stronger. Right. And when you're niching down and you're getting specialized at that, it's definitely going to be something that you're going to continue to perfect. You're going to continue to get better at. You're going to continue to make sure that you're going to be the best in your field which means your occupancy, again, is going to go up. Your investors are, again, going to get a better return, and you're going to become more, even more specialized at that. And I think, uh, I think the fact that you realize that the, the investor for every, you know, I, I mean, I've said it jokingly. I've never met a piece of real estate I didn't love, right? Yeah. But at the same time, 
I, I'm only good at certain things, right? There's people that are really great at office. There's people that are really great at retail. There's people that are really great at a lot of things. I, I know what I'm good at, right? Yeah. So, and that's a really important point. The last thing that you, I wanted to talk about with you and, and hit on before we close out the session, because it's really, really been full of a lot of information. But, you know, when you talk about spending time developing a better project, mm-hmm. how do you develop a better project? I mean, projects are projects, man. They're all full of problems. You know, yep. yours isn't any different. How, what, how are you building a better project? It's kind of the way I've been trying to live my life. And it's, it's fairly simple, but it's being intentful about everything you do. So a lot of times we get caught up because we're busy, we're pressured, we're stressed. we got a lot of things going on. So we're just doing our best to get through the day or to get things off our desk or get things moved forward. And that's not being intentful. That's just being reactionary. You know, I want to be intentful with everything I do. So that doesn't only include just my projects, but it includes my team or my subcontractors or my consultants or everyone around me is I want to put them in a, in a place so they can be intentful about everything they do when they're working with me. So one of those big things that we need to look at is the design of a project. Don't just design it because it's functional. You need to design it so it's intentful for what you're trying to accomplish. You need to live five years, 10 years down the road and say, hey, this looks good now, but is it going to be good in five or 10 years from now? Am I designing air conditioning and water and electrical systems that are good for now, but they're not good for 10 years down the road? I need to design everything that I do with a 10-year plan plus because I don't want to go back and, and say, hey, it looked good on day one. But six months down the road, hey, this doesn't really work because we didn't really think this out. Hey, this is kind of difficult because we didn't think far enough ahead. Or, hey, we didn't take into account changing demographics and changing markets. And that's just one small part of building better. It's about being intentful about your design, being intentful about your team, being intentful who's working with you. But also at the same time, it's during the construction process. Hey, are your subcontractors being intentful and smart and, and are they really, you know, thinking about what they're doing? Are they really putting your best interest forward or are they just trying to rush to get to a project? And I bring this example up many times. I'm, seeing, I'm sure you've seen it and it, probably, it drives me absolutely crazy is when your electricians rough in a, a box for a switch or an outlet or something like that. And then the drywall and the plaster guys come by and they plaster up everything. And there's these big chunks of plaster in all the junction boxes. And you got to chip them out to be able to put in your outlet or put in your switch. And then you got to chip it out some more so you can screw in your screws. Because these guys were just rushing through the job. They weren't being intentful about what they're doing. You know, they're wasting material, they're wasting time, and they weren't really thinking about it. And that's just one example. Or how many times have you gotten to an attic or opened up a wall and you saw all this trash and this material and all the stuff that was in there is because they weren't thinking about their job they just wanted to rush through it and that not only applies to the guys on the job building it but it also applies to the engineers who are designing the job it applies to the architects who are designing the building it it applies all the way down the line are these guys taking the time to think about are you doing it right hey mr engineer you designed a certain type of uh 
structural system for this building because it was easy because you were cutting and pasting from another project. But does it really, really work or are you just doing it because it was easy? And does it cost me more money or does it hinder the project? I want people to think about things like that when they're going through the steps of developing properties. And it doesn't just end with the development. It could be in any aspect of your life. Hey, you're going to the gym, you're working out. Okay, are you working out better? Or are you just rushing through your, your set to get done? Or are you actually taking a nanosecond to think about your form? Are you taking a nanosecond to think about the design of this apartment unit? And is it functional for senior citizens or is it functional for young people? Are you taking that nanosecond to think about, hey, I need to spend just a tiny bit of time being intentional about it because if I do that, it's going to be huge, a huge advantage for not only the project, but for me and for the team, it's gonna be a much better project. So all I'm asking is for people to be intentful about what they do, spending that tiny little second of extra thought or care, and you'll see how much further the project or your life or your investments or your business will grow. You know, and that's, and that's so key. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly how we do things over here is we have the subcontractors involved in the process, right? I mean, they have ownership, they're stakeholders in drawing the plans. And then we're not getting into that change order process at the end because we're using the contractor based on, I want you to win. I want you to make money. And in order for you to make money, I need your expertise. I need you to bring your A game. And when you do that, let's design, I mean, listen, let's be honest, Ahmed. Who's going to design a better plumbing system, the plumbing engineer or the plumber, right? I mean, the, and, and when you design that, are you going to design a plumbing system that is cost effective or are you going to design one that's going to get covered with sheetrock but has got the best pipe in the walls that you could possibly get, right? And so when you bring those stakeholders in and you have them be participants in that, it's amazing what happens when the job goes south and there's something on it that didn't work and there always will be, right? There's yeah. always something. But when the plumbing contractor had a hand in the design and the electric electrician had a hand in the design, they're not sitting there going, well, you're stupid, you're stupid. They're sitting there going, hey, let's solve it because we drew it. We were part of it. And it creates a whole different thing because now they're partners with us in how that whole thing got built. Right. And I love how you're saying that, because although we've talked about how we do business together uh, or we've talked together about how we do business, we have similar pathways to get it done for those same reasons. And that's what I think is so impressive about what you're doing with your company is you're really you are being intentional. You are looking at it going, I want to build something that 10 years down the road, it's still doing that improvement process on itself and the community. And I really think that that's important because a lot of people are just developing property for money. I mean, and there's, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a reason why we do what we're doing and it is for money, right? Let's not be completely idiotic about it, but being intentional about what we do beyond that, I think is so, so important. And, you know, that's the one thing that I've always been impressed with you about. And every time we've had a conversation, I've come away with that. Yeah. He's a thinker that one because you're always thinking about not just today, but how to build something that is better, that lasts longer, that's more relevant for a longer period of time. It's not something that we're just throwing away in a couple of years because it's it's like a Game Boy. It's irrelevant now, 
you know you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be known as hey this is shannon robnett this is a shannon robnett building and every time i see a shannon robnett building it's impressive it's done right i will always be known as a guy that has taken the time to build an impressive product same yeah. with you and i want everyone to drive by and you're like wow look at every one of shannon's projects is amazing he doesn't cut corners he doesn't get cheap he's intentional about what he does and you'll always forever be known as an amazing developer and you know Ahmed, when you when you have that mindset you have that mentality as you know it's not about being cheap or being expensive it's about providing value right it's about exchanging your dollars in the highest capacity to get a return for your tenants and your investors right yeah. i've made mistakes before like that and i'll and i'll give you one of them here where i will never do it again so I was remodeling a house one time, stripped it to the studs, and I was buying uh, fixtures for the house. And I went and I bought a bunch of these Chinese um, water fixtures, you know, faucets and stuff like that. Beautiful, well-made, high-quality, you know, steel, and, you know, saved hundreds of dollars on the fixtures because, you know, they're half price. I'm like, these look greater than half price. But a couple of them, after a few months, sprung a leak. So when it's time to go and change that washer, change that fitting to, to fix it, you can't buy them here in the United States. They're a completely different type of fixture and a fitting and you just can't. You can't. So I had to remove the fixture and put in a new fixture. It's the same thing with air conditioning units. Yeah. You want to buy an air conditioning unit that you know the parts and material will be on the shelf for repairs and maintenance for the next 10 or 20 years because that design is 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 tested out and it's a staple to the economy meaning you will always have the opportunity to fix something because it's it's long term it's well known it's a good brand and even if it costs a little bit more it's going to save you in the future you know and and we can apply that same thing to our subcontractors too i mean i learned that lesson on 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 framers you know i got a framer that was going to do it for a lot less by the time i got done with with interest that i paid the bank and delays in the game and all the idiotic stuff they did i would have been better off to hire the best framer in the valley and have him do it and not have to mess with this so really really valuable lessons and you would think ahmed as good as we are at our job we would have already learned all those lessons but I, I, I'm adapting this new phrase. If I had a dollar for every time I, oh wait, I do, because it's not the it's not the successes that have taught me as much as the failures and the things like the faucet and the things like the framer that have taught me the lessons on what not to do again that have actually allowed me to become profitable. Right. True. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Ahmed, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. It's truly a pleasure to have you on. The real estate rundown i really appreciate you stopping by thank you shannon i've uh was looking forward to this a long time because uh the conversations you and i have are always exciting and, and they get me thinking as well and wanting to do more and then uh, just uh you know level up to get to your level and and do things not only across the country but around the world like you're doing right now i appreciate that Ahmed. so guys thanks for tuning in the real estate rundown don't forget to like share and subscribe to the real estate rundown on spotify itunes or wherever you get your podcast to get an automatic update also, if you'll stop by and leave us a review on Instagram or YouTube, we'd love to hear from you. I actually answer all the feedback myself. So guys, thank you for tuning in. And if you liked Ahmed, what he had to share today, go ahead and give him a follow as well as you can find him on all the places, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. His website is adcprop.com and you can find him at Ahmed, the real estate developer on Instagram. 
Thanks again, Ahmed, for joining us. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnet.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.